Hey everyone, welcome to episode 24 versus Media Live. We're doing open topic AMA fun explosion today. Uh, we're not going to get as kooky and wild as we did last time, which was I think we went about three hours <laughs> or around. Uh, we'll probably keep this a little bit shorter today. Uh, I'll probably aim for about an hour. Obviously, I set up a couple of things that are just lots of uh, things going on. We had uh, Edward Isaac DeVore from CNN with the sounding of the alarm. And if, you don't, if you're not familiar with him or his work, he's basically Joe Biden's unofficial biographer. He's going to be the guy who's going to get Joe Biden's presidential biography. He was the guy who got Joe Biden's presidential announcement at The Atlantic. So if he starts sounding the alarms... Things are probably even worse inside that White House than we're even being led to believe. It led to probably one of my favorite uh, series of paragraphs uh, in recent memory of (laughs) Deborah Messing of Will and Grace fame and not much else uh, was on a call Uh, with the White House screaming about this, like, no response to Roe v. Wade. It says, Deborah Messing was fed up. The former Will and Grace star was among dozens of celebrity Democratic supporters and activists who joined a call with the White House aides last Monday to discuss the uh, Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. And she goes on, she basically goes on to say that she, she is the reason Joe Biden was elected and they need to be doing more and just screaming. And the White House was torn between hearing her out and others were just like, why, do, why are we even speaking with this person? Uh, it led to one of my favorite uh, parts of this piece from CNN. It says, that afternoon, participants received a follow-up email with a list of basic talking points and suggestions of Biden speech clips to share on TikTok. Um, even, even I'm completely kind of, caught off guard as to as to what is going on uh with that party uh, i don't think in in my political life i i've seen them you know and the saying goes as far as much as dems in disarray it's it's breathtaking to watch what's happening right now uh today biden lost his comms director as if i even knew he had one in kate Bedingfeld, who is now leaving in the coming weeks and you have a lot of people diving off the ship this Basically, we've seen now kind of a, a dearth of pieces coming out saying Democrats are angry. And I wrote about this at the Washington Examiner. And I'm going to get a lot of mileage out of that, of just there's no plan. The, the White House has no plan to to push back on any of these things that Democrats care about, inflation. And, you know, you, you're blaming Putin. And now it's um, no response to Roe v. Wade whatsoever. Biden just says, goes out and says, we're going to fight. And then Nancy Pelosi flew to Europe. And... Uh, Yesterday, uh, via Twitter, for uh, or a photograph, I think through the New York Post, was seen uh, partying on a, on a beach and uh, exposing some of her large house, shall we say, assets. <laughs> and so the response to Roe for this party has been to just fly off to Europe. Joe Biden flew off to the G seven, and they don't, and they're just kind of bereft of ideas right now. It's it, it is just something that's kind of crazy to see. I don't I don't have another word for it. Um, so all of these whispers now of 2024 starting to come up, and we've gone into this before. I don't want to go too much into it, but just laying out some topics. Um, you're going to hear all of these whispers become very loud screams pretty much the day after the midterm that Biden needs to step aside. Um, so we have those topics there, as I said. Um, uh, 
anything you guys kind of want to talk about. There's a, like I said, there's just, there's a ton going on out there. Um, I, I threw in my description, Kane's chicken fingers versus Chick-fil-A. Um, so that's just another kind of fun one. Like I said, open topic, fun explosion doesn't have to be anything serious. Um, like I said, we'll keep it kind of short and sweet today. And, uh, I have a few dudes already. I've got, it's a sausage fest again. I'm going to get yelled at by, uh, what's her name again. Anyway, Joe, how are you? How you said you're stocked up on baby formula. What else is going on in the world that you care about? Um, what, what is your open topic today? Hey, Steven. Um, yep. All stocked up on baby formula. Supply is still going quite well over here. No thanks to Brandon, but you know, we, we do what we can. Um, <clears throat> a couple, a couple quick, uh, topics, uh, for tonight. Um, I did want to talk a little bit more about that Isaac, um, Edward Isaac Dover piece. And, um, but before I do, I just wanted to kind of, uh, set the stage for the nihilism that is awaiting the Biden administration. Um, this month in particular, the month of July, pretends to just be awful for them. And the reason why I say that is because there are three dates this month to where I think you could truly see his approval. I think right now in the RCP average, it's about 38% approved. I think by the end of this month, you could see it at 35 or even below. And those three dates. So on Friday, we have the uh, jobs report that's coming out. Next Wednesday, I believe, is going to be the inflation uh, report that's going to come out for year over year. And on the 28th of this month, we are going to have the GDP report come out um, for Q2. If those numbers are how everybody is kind of imagining them to be, particularly the GDP one, which is, I think, like the, the Atlanta Fed had revised its um uh, I think on Friday it had revised its forecast to be a negative 2% growth. I think then it's just, uh, I mean, anything goes at that point where his approval rating is just going to crater even further than what it already is. And we will realize that there is, in fact, no bottom. Now, in preparation for that, I'm sure that Ron Klain is probably watching the training montage from Rocky Four with Burning Heart by Survivor and preparing his thumbs for the workout of all workouts. I mean, because he is going to be put to work, shall we say, um, uh, leading it, up to that. It even feels, though, like after this decision by the court on, on Roe v. Wade that he's just muted. Like, he, you don't, he doesn't have a presence right now in, like, his, his favorite arena of Twitter. Um, I noted that uh, Kamala Harris's staff is out here retweeting Jennifer Rubin, and now we have Dana Milbank out here saying to give Joe Biden a break. And... You really do see, I, th- I think, a White House coming to terms with just how completely out of touch they are um, with just things people care about. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. With these three things, like you said, GDP, jobs, um, inflation. I mean, as inflation continues to go up, he's going to keep saying Putin's price hike or whatever. Today, he called it Putin's tax increase. And we've saw that that doesn't fly with more than about 20% of the country. So I don't know how dialed in, you know, his base is on those issues as much as they are cultural issues and things like losing Roe v. Wade. Um, And I cited in my piece um, just several people on the left who were like, we need a Donald Trump now. Like at Aaron Gloria Ryan from Crooked Media saying we need a mean president. 
and it's taking me to the way back machine of the days prior to Trump, where the left, we're probably going to end up with President Sean Penn when this is all said and done, because that's that's where the left seems to be going. Um, but I, just, I wanted to chime in there for a second um, with him. And yeah, I think you said RCPs at 38%. I think there's one that has him at 36%. And I think there's even another one that has him at 30 um, They just, you see someone who is just completely in over his head for the job. And it's scary because we still have like two and a half years left of this. Yeah, no, exactly. And that actually feeds into my second point. That's a really good transition for, um, you know, talking about his base and um, the Edward Isaac DeVore piece. Um, <clears throat> I think that the the way that the media has had, a, like, it's been pretty much a steady drip of these stories with, um, you know, conjecture as to, oh, is he really up for the task? Is really up for this? Um, to me, I think that you can trace this to a certain extent just from like the very beginning of his administration, because from the moment Joe Biden won, from the moment he won the presidency, he was being pulled into uh, so many different directions. And while also, you know, the people that are down here on planet Earth took a look as to what the balance of power was in the House and the Senate. But for those presidential historians, the, you know, what, whatever that term means anymore, um, that got into his ear and said, you could be the next FDR, you could be the next LBJ. And he just basically went along with it. Um, you know, he also simultaneously wanted to be the, you know, of what he said would be the great uniter, even though none of us know that he's ever united much of anything, um, aside from his son and some drugs of choice. Um, but when, when, when you put all that together, the, the one thing about him is that, and this is separates him from Trump, he's never really had much of a base to speak of. And this is the one thing that kept Trump at, I think this time in his term, at like 43% approval because of his hardcore base following. Joe Biden's base is basically, as far as voters go, of course, you know, we'll put the media in there too. It's basically two groups, college-educated white women and African-Americans. Well, college-educated white women are right now incredibly pissed off with him over the administration's complete lack thereof response to Roe versus Wade. And African-Americans, he is losing support among, um, you know, basically by the day. And I think that this has also kind of gone back into uh, how this feeds into the media angle is that he has never made himself readily available. Now, of course, we can all speculate, and I think it's true that it's due to health concerns, but since he's never made himself readily available, and since his greatest asset, I think, at like kind of communicating among the media club, Jan Psaki, is now gone, the media, I think, now kind of has basically, ever since she's left, I think that they now really smell blood in the water. And I think that's why you've seen some of these pieces, like the one piece in Politico, about how Corrine Jean-Pierre is, to put it nicely, not up for the job. There have been so many things that have just been falling out from under the administration that the media just basically smells blood. And yes, they will always try and hold him to account from the left, but it's basically given them all the openings and all these unforced errors to where I think it's just basically become a feeding frenzy for them. 
Yeah, what's what's interesting is you see two. There are two things that they're doing simultaneously. One, uh, these pieces about the natives getting restless. We've seen in the New York Times. We saw Politico. We saw obviously CNN with the chatter of somebody like Gavin Newsom raising his profile. You're seeing these two things happen almost identical. Um, and that is not to me accidental. And people keep talking about this, the media dumping him, this media dumping him. Uh, I think that this is partially them trying to shove him in one direction, which is you can't run again. And it's up to him. Like they can't keep, they can't stop him from running. And so I think you're seeing those two things happen. And it's like I said, the whole, the joke is you, there's all of this talk, all of these whispers of 2024 from circles of the media. And it's like, Joe Biden's just over here. Like, I'm not dead. You know, he's I want to go for a walk and they don't care. They're just going to keep writing them and they're going to keep, you know, talking about this. And as I said, the day after the midterms, when you, you have a Democrat party that's in majority and all you're hearing about is how bad the country is right now. It's crazy. And they're doing this, obviously, without acknowledging who's in charge and who's running things and um, who's in charge of Senate, who's in charge of House, who's in charge of the executive branch. The only thing they don't have is the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court just told them, you have majorities. Go go back and start making legislation. That's not what we're, we're not here to save you anymore. And so it is really this fatalism that you're seeing throughout that party and throughout sections of the media and sections of the country. Um, it, it really is. So I've never seen in my lifetime with them having all majorities, maybe, you know, the Iraq war, 2005, 2006 before Bush lost, you know, obviously his congressional majorities. But even then I've never, I've never seen it like this from people who generally cheerlead him. And, you know, you have, I think what they're trying to tell him, and I think what they're trying to say is, yes, thank you for vanquishing Trump. You did what you had to do, um, but now you need to get off the stage. We need someone with more energy. We need someone who's more passionate and a fighter. And like I said, I've thrown out names about who that's going to be. Um, so, again, this this other thing I wanted to mention, this Deborah Messing thing, and I said this on Twitter, and I've been saying this for a while, is Hollywood is the Democratic base, Barack Obama put so much value into who Hollywood is because Hollywood essentially helped him get elected. So then you had Obama, you had Jack Black pitching the Iran deal. You had Obama, you know, traveling to Lake Cuomo, Italy to, to have dinner with George Clooney. And, you and you know, he had him hanging out with Seinfeld and he had him. He basically relied on celebrities for every single part of his messaging. <clears throat> and so now they have this overvalue where you literally have. I wouldn't even call Deborah Messing a B-level celebrity. She's maybe a D now at this point, screaming that she's entitled because she got Joe Biden elected. And the fact that you have this White House dropping everything to take her call shows you where their priorities are. If, if I'm in this White House and I have Deborah Messing calling me, I'm like, tell her we'll fucking call her back. And, and you just you call, you call her when you have a minute like on Friday. But she's on a phone call with other Hollywood stars and activists, and this White House is sitting here prioritizing her opinion. And we've seen how this party has gotten further and further away from just average normal people, parents at school board meetings, um, you know, blue collar workers that all flipped and went to Trump two elections ago. That was unthinkable. 
And now you have uh, them losing Hispanics, which we saw today in the New York Times, the rise of the far right Latina um, in Maya Flores. And so you have a media that's out of touch going with them because essentially the media runs messaging for Joe Biden in this White House. And I just I thought about this, that you have a base of support that the Democratic Party cannot break their addiction to. They, if they were smart, they would say, you know what? We appreciate you guys. We appreciate you wanting to come and campaign. We appreciate your Instagram posts, you know, whatever. But you're not fucking helping us anymore. And we're losing most of the country. So the more that we, you know, rely on Alyssa Milano and Jessica Chastain and Angelina Jolie and Matthew McConaughey and, and celebrities like that, the more that average people are just tuning out. They're just saying, fuck, this party isn't for me. You know, you you care more about, you know, Olivia Rodrigo or whatever coming to the White House to speak about issues or, you know, TikTok. That that whole thing where they said, here's some talking points for you to go share on TikTok proves this entire point about who they who they think their audience is and where they think their audience is. And I said, this administration is governed by Twitter. And now we know it's governed by what happens on TikTok. They are not in touch with people you know, buying gas for their cars and just looking at it and going, fuck, you know? And so you have a party that is addicted to celebrities. They cannot break their addiction to celebrities. The problem is, is it was fine when it was Obama because Obama's charisma could carry them. Um, And now they don't have Obama. Obama's not coming through that door. What you have is an 80-year-old Alzheimer's patient who, you know, has to be told where to sit in a room (laughs) And I think that so they're sitting here and I think that they're seeing that they have a lack of charisma here. And because of that, they don't have a messaging. If you remember, Obama wiped the Democratic Party out from under him. And that was barely noticed at the time because of just how cool he was. He was he was on with Jimmy Fallon and he was on doing his brackets and he was slow jamming the news. He was everywhere in culture to the point to where people just didn't notice that he basically he lost over a thousand seats. And now it's going to happen again, except Joe Biden really doesn't have the personality to to pull them through it. Exactly. And I'll just uh, I'll leave it with uh, one parting thought. And I'm going to credit this to uh, Varad Mehta because I think he came up with it. You know, the Biden administration really is the Mrs. Flanders administration. The whole we tried nothing and we're out of ideas. Yeah, just just today he's in Ohio talking to union members and you could hear a pin drop in the room. They were not revved up. And Biden said, you know, it's all of these Republicans obstructing me. And it's like, hold on. Republicans just gave you a fucking gun control bill. And you're sitting here saying they obstructed. And by the way, three days later, after this bill passes, there's another shooting. Boy, that worked. Good job, guys. Um, And he's sitting here calling them obstructionists. And it's like, we just gave you gun control. Like, what are you even talking about? You have majorities. You can pass anything that you want to pass. The problem is, is Joe Biden doesn't want to pass anything that is moderate. And remember, that's what he ran on. And as I've always said, he ran on two things, compassion and incompetence. And uh, primarily Afghanistan showed that he has neither of those things. And so now, you know, they wheel him out for 20 minutes a day. We don't hear from him. We don't see him. And they don't have a response for Roe v. Wade, largely because there isn't one. Like you can't you can't abolish filibuster. You can't pack the Supreme Court. Everything that like, you know, Chief Warren is, is telling them to do to you know, go open up abortion outposts in, in national parks. That's that's not going to happen. And so instead of him telling them this, saying, look, the, 
anything you're suggesting here is not going to work. He's just letting them kind of foment more, and he, it's going to be pointed in his direction to the point to where you have now the Washington Post just going, give him a break. Come on. No, we're not going to give him a break. Thank, thanks as always, Stephen. Take it thanks, easy. Thanks, Joe. Good to hear from you. I'm going to I'm gonna kind of switch up the order here a little bit just because I see some new people. Uh, I see Jax back here, and Jax looks like a new face. So I'm I'm gonna kind of skip over some of you people. I'll I'll get to I'll get to all of you guys, but I'm just I want to hear from some new people. Jax, if you're there, uh, open topic fun explosion post Fourth of July. Uh, we all still have that holiday hangover, so it's an open topic, nothing too heavy. Uh, what is a topic? And if you want to unmute your microphone, you just do that with that little mic icon at the bottom. Okay. Yep, I can hear you. You're good. This is my first time. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, (laughs) None of us know what we're doing. That's part of the fun of this. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay, I'm actually a longtime listener. I um, was one of the original dregs from um, your COVID special. I I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) You mean mean the Glenn Greenwald uh, $1 level? Yes, yeah, but that was the, the good level originally. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was COVID, and we had nothing else to do, and that's how I found you. So thank you. Um, but I have been listening for a long time, and just too nervous or scared to participate. And I just thought today was the day I was going to finally ask you the question of um, the Wall Street. Um, I'm going blank now from nerves, but. Oh, see, now you're gone. Goodbye. Good to hear from you. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. No, um, I, I blanked out. like three times last episode because we went so long and uh, I, I completely lost my train of thought on three things. And I went even back and listened to it. I'm like, well, that was fun. We're all we're none of us are pros here. Well, I'm not I'm never going back to listen to this. But I I was I have been wondering about your experience with Occupy Wall Street because you mentioned oh. that <laughs> what you were seeing on. TV and, and media right. was different than what you were experiencing in New York. So I was just wondering if you could kind of go into that since it's ap- I know it's apropos of nothing, but I've always wondered. No. Yeah. So for people who haven't heard, I mean, one of kind of, I'd always been kind of vocal and political and, you know, whatever, and uh, pretty public. And I've always been writing stuff like that, but my kind of real, social media political awakening was I had, I had just moved to New York city. I was staying down on wall street or close to it. Um, and it, it was like a temporary place. So it was only gonna be there for about a month or whatever. And this is right when occupy wall street kicked up and, I, and I'll try, I'm going to kind of cut some corners just in the interest of time. But, um, if, if you were on Twitter or whatever like that, this was kind of in the, in the dawn of, of the tweet age, uh, you know, you're looking at, I think, 2011, 2010 or 2011. And so this was one of those kinds of big first incidences that was being tweeted about through media. And so if you saw what media, how media was covering it and how they were addressing it, and Michael Moore was there, and it was like, you know, Le Miserable in the shadow of the World Trade Center, and this was democracy, and finally the power of the people and all this stuff really, really romanticizing Occupy. If, if Those of you who can remember it, uh, you, you saw the television coverage of it, and it was just, you know, this, oh, this young, and it's energetic, and you heard Pelosi praising it, and Obama was praising it and everything. And so this was happening about three blocks away from me. So I'm like, I'm going to go see this. I want to go see what this is. 
And so you walk up, and it's Ducati Park, which is sort of not right by the World Trade Center, but it's kind of just a couple of blocks away. It's across from the church. And um, so you walk up, and Ducati Park is just a concrete square area. So they, it allowed them all to pitch tents. And, you know, and when they just all went and did it, the NYPD, uh, I think it was Bloomberg was mayor at the time, was just like, what do we do here? Like, and they could have just cleared them out. But, of course, Bloomberg was like, no, let's hear them out. And so you walk up to Zuccotti Park, and the first thing I noticed was they're selling merchandise, which for a bunch of communist socialists, you know, it was just hilarious to me. They're selling Occupy Buttons t-shirts, what have you. And then if you walk through Zuccotti Park, and I've said this, it was like walking through Barter Town in Mad Max. It was not anywhere close to what was being portrayed. There was just people strung out. It smelled like absolute shit, like at least five different kinds of shit at least um, you had, you know, people just kind of doing drum circles. It wasn't like some big protest. It was just kind of a bunch of like just fucking washouts just hanging out. And it was not a good scene. It was unhealthy. Um, and so it was one of those first things to where I was just kind of like, and I've had others where I was just like, this is not, this is not what you're telling us. This is you're lying. You're flat out lying. And of course, one of the people who really got, under these people's skins to, to, you know, reveal what was happening to Occupy Wall Street was Andrew Breitbart. And I was certainly not Andrew Breitbart at the time, nor am I now, but um, there was any, anyone who spoke out against what was, what you actually saw at Occupy Wall Street. We know that there were sexual assaults, rampant sexual assaults. We know there was damage to businesses. We know that there were, they were harassing people just trying to get into their work because the Park is right in a, in the middle of like a metropolitan lower Manhattan. So on the weekends, there's not a lot of people there um, other than who lives in places, but during the week, people are just trying to get to their jobs. So there was rampant vandalism. There was rampant drug use. There was just rampant assaults happening, sexual assaults. And this stuff was leaking out and you had a media who was completely uninterested in reporting it as much as they were just not covering it. We just have to cover this up and this cannot get out. But as I said, for someone who, was there, and I guess you can take it as you might think I'm biased, but I'm not lying. Um, it was nothing. It was nothing like what was being reported. Um, and at the time, I mean, I didn't take photos. I wasn't like a big who to do Twitter account or anything like that. Um, but it was really one of those eye-opening experiences with, you know, where we were with our media, who was telling you one thing. And I can very clearly tell you with my eyes that that is not what's happening. If if you wanted a, a current example, it's what's currently going on at the southern border, where you just saw Bill Malusian just uh, drone footage of 500 migrants walking across the border and getting into buses. Now, regardless of what you think about an open border, closed border, we're being told by this administration that it's a, the border's closed. And you have, as, I, as I've said before, you have a national media who is just completely ignoring this. It's just they're ignoring it. We went from three years ago concentration camps to what's a southern border? What's going on? And that's to me is the biggest uh, parallel to what I saw at Occupy Wall Street. We, you know, we just saw what was it, last year, last summer, where we had these people just shoved under an overpass in Del Rio, Texas, in some of the worst humanitarian conditions that we've ever fucking seen in this country. And you could not bribe a journalist to go and write about it or go down there and show you what was happening. It was, it's like, it was never happening. 
whatsoever. After, you know, four years of concentration camps and detention facilities, now you have them all shoved under a highway overpass. Uh, you had casualties from the heat. No, there wasn't enough water. And it, it was just completely a blip in the news. And that's to me, is obviously one of the reasons, and like I said with Occupy, it's one of the reasons why you get a little bit of a following. If you just tell people what's going on, if you just show them what's happening with your eyes and ears, and it's kind of like what's going on now with crime in cities, and now encamp, you know, encampments are legal now in several cities, like you know, Austin, Denver, San Francisco, places like that. And we're just being told that this is not happening or this is lack of housing and we just need housing. We need compassion. And it's like, no, you don't understand what this is doing to these cities. And um, it, it's it's really astounding. And, and I think about this on a daily basis. Like, what is our media covering? When you really think about it, what are they covering? Well, they cover a lot of the January 6 hearings, but that's not really going on. Uh, they cover a lot about what's happening on Fox and who's saying stuff on Fox News. But if you look at really what's going on, they're really not covering what I talk about, eyes and ears issues, things that, you know, one of the reasons I like doing call-in is because I hear from people who are out just in the world, just normies doing their thing. And they say they see with their eyes and ears that, you know what, holy shit, things are not okay. And again, you have a media whose job should be to inform us regardless of the political consequences who aren't doing that. And that's pretty much what what occupy wall street was and then we just saw occupy wall street transform into black block and antifa and then we saw it happen in seattle with the chop zone where again they just they just took over what three square blocks of space in seattle and our media just was like oh, you know three people are dead you know whatever because they know how bad it kind of makes it look another example was the riots in portland two years ago uh against the federal building where you literally had journalists going and say i don't see anything and we're sitting here every night seeing this footage online. And it's like, why do we need you people? We don't need you anymore if you're not going to be useful. And so, you know, Occupy was one of those media events that started a lot of this, where it was like, we're just not going to cover what's happening. And as these stories started to leak out and more stories started to leak out of just, um, it's funny how they, they were kicking homeless people out because they didn't want them coming in. And it was, they created a whole class system and, um, again, sexual assaults and just rampant, heavy, hard drug use. Um, when I was walking through Zuccotti Park, you, you had to step over needles. You had to watch where you were walking. Um, you had to step over people. Uh, you couldn't, like, walk on top of a sleeping bag or a tent because there might be four people in it. Um, it, it was not a pleasant experience. And Zuccotti Park's not very big, so it was kind of like going through a, a spook house, uh, like a haunted house. Um but it was the first kind of seminal moment for me where what they were telling you is not what you were experiencing with your own eyes and ears. Yeah, I think that actually when CHOP <laughs> was, was uh, formed was the first time I ever heard that Occupy Wall Street was, you, I think that's when you compared it to Occupy Wall Street. And I was like, wait a minute, I watched Newsroom with Jeff Daniels and uh, Occupy Wall Street was a big thing. And I lived in DC at the time and, you know, just got the post on Sundays and just didn't think much of it. So, um, yeah, when I heard you say it was Chop was, or Chaz, I don't know what it They They changed it for marketing reasons, I guess. I don't uh, know. <laughs> Too many yeah. people died under Chop, so they changed it to Chaz. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think I've been on Twitter since like 2009. Um, 
but I, I wasn't really, you know, that was the wild west days, I think of Twitter. And I don't remember, at least I didn't use Twitter for politics back then, but I do think that um, Chaz now, I, I don't know that you could get away with not seeing all the abuse that was going on and um, the drugs and, and just did, the craziness. Did you have kind of a media moment awakening like that where you were just like, holy shit, we're just kind of being lied to on a daily basis? Did you, was there something where as you got more involved into listening about politics or media coverage like what we do here or um, was it just gradual? Was there like an event where you just went, <clears throat> oh, God, they're just flat out lying to us? Don't, yeah, don't say the 2020 it, um... election, by the way, please. No, no, no. Actually, um, I moved down to South Carolina in 2016, and I got out of D.C. when the election was revving up. And I just, I remember thinking, oh, my God, I might have to actually vote for Trump. And uh, it was really hard. And as a lifelong Republican, I just realized that I had to not just, just vote, you know, just vote Republican. I, I had to be able to articulate my reasons. And that's when I started delving more into politics to be able to defend my positions. And um, there wasn't exactly a moment because I've always been on the right-ish. But I think being sort of balconized into the South <laughs> and being surrounded by red people and, and feeling safe to come out and talk about politics. Whereas in DC, you were, had to be closeted if you were a Republican. Um, you still do. Uh, I think that really helped to cement some of my positions. I'm much, I don't know. I, I think the, the Kavanaugh hearings certainly just, uh, that was it for me. I would never, ever look back and, voting anything well i shouldn't say that um the thought of voting for trump again has me very nervous <laughs> i'm not gonna lie but that's a whole other call in i suppose yeah i'm sure that that one's coming here pretty soon in, in a few weeks and months so I, I don't know if anybody saw but he i guess he just did a post where he unveiled the new paint job on his airplane and that's when i'm like yeah he's running um, he, he's more proud of that goddamn d airplane design than he was like anything else in his four years as president. Like he had that little model on the desk and everything. And I'm just like, uh, he just unveiled a new paint design. So that's, that's definitely coming. Um, Jack, do you have anything to close, any closing thoughts? And then I'm going to, no, thank you. I, no, well, good to hear. You. I, I like hearing from new people. See, like I said, we're not too, we're not too scary around here. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to kind of continue that. Uh, Ivan, who's a, who looks like a new person I haven't seen before. Uh, like I said, open topic, fun explosion. Um, any, anything that you have on your mind, uh, media, culture, politics, whatever, Keynes or Chick-fil-A. Um, and like I said, just hit that uh, microphone icon at the bottom there. And after Ivan, I will take Steven. Okay. Ivan, uh, just jump back into the queue if you can. I'm just going to move fast. Uh, oh, there he is. All right, hold on. Ivan, come back. Just jump back into the queue. I'll hey. Take you. Uh, can I actually go ahead if I can hear you? Go ahead. You there? No, he's not there. Ivan, go ahead and jump back into the queue, and I will take you next. Uh, Steven, what's on your mind? Uh, hi, Steven. Uh, thanks for taking me. I'll keep this kind of brief. Um, 
you have me fully convinced that AOC is going to be the primary opponent for 2024. Um, not only just from you saying this before, but then that Colbert clip came out and it kind of just seemed to uh, seal it in. Um, and she's just always like, she's always on Instagram, always on TikTok, always walking out in the crowd screaming. She's check, like her habitat she's checking now. all of the boxes right now that the political left wants someone to check. They want someone who's a fighter. They want someone who can rab the rousal. They want someone who's in touch. They, they want someone with energy. And if you watch the clip, I said this on the podcast. So if you watch the clip of Colbert, she doesn't deny it. And as soon as soon as he as soon as he hints it at her, he flirts it with her. She just gets all she just lights up. And I'm just like, yeah, uh, I, I think right now it, it certainly looks like you have two people that are going to jump in the primary. And that's to me, it's Newsom. And while I don't see her make doing the structural stuff to run for president, where you don't see her, you know, m- visiting places or campaigning, she will, and she'll do it under the guise of helping candidates or whatever. I don't necessarily think she really needs to right now, um, but she has the name recognition of just about any other, you know, Democrat in in the country, and so I just it's it's a gut feeling. I, I could be totally way off, but all the signs to me point to uh, her getting at least convinced or coerced to doing it the other other reason i'm sorry sorry one last thing but the other reason is her mentor and you know political idol is bernie sanders and bernie sanders considered primarying obama in 2012 and everyone was like don't you know don't do this like what are you crazy and then of course he he ran in 2016 and that didn't go according to plan for you know the DNC to, just using using this old fuddy-duddy to tune up Hillary and it turns out he almost comes kind of comes through and beats her. And so he has a history of primarying and I think if he's advising her which I think he will um I, I think that that's what he's going to advise her and say you know I I challenge I, I was going to challenge Obama in 2012 so you can do it. And that's my other kind of you know circumstantial piece of evidence on that. Um, just one thing that comes into play with her is uh, she has a pretty big uh, like Instagram following, TikTok following. It's just like she's like very online. So uh, just one thing that uh, it's kind of interesting angle is like how that is going to really determine like how that will help her. Because, you know, we're still 2024. It's still about two and a half years away. So, I mean, I'll bring in a lot of younger voters. Uh, they always say that and then young people don't vote. Um I know it feels like younger people vote because that's what you got with Obama. But even then, uh, for the two elections of Obama, it was something like the youth vote didn't even really crack what it did for John Kerry in 2004. So there will be an appearance of that, that youth energy. But again, they just those that's not a that's not a demographic that you can count on to put you into the White House. Generally, most voters are 35 to 55 and then 55 and over. And so. I mean, maybe that could change, you know, whatever. But as far as just counting on, like, the TikTok vote, you have to look at the average user of TikTok, which is, you know, teenager, 13 to 17. Uh, It could be 13 to 18 in there, but you're looking at teenagers who I don't think that they're going to get their long wish of having 16-year-olds to vote in the next two years. So maybe you would certainly see media coverage of that, of of the youth vote is energized. They finally have a, you know, a 35 year old candidate and they're just whatever. But that very rarely turns into elections is that would be the problem. She would need to energize the donor base of the party. And I don't know how realistic that is if she's against five or six other people. Gotcha. Uh, I'll just bring up one last thing. Um, 
Corinne Jean-Pierre, uh, she had a really, really good day yesterday. Um, Peter Ducey was hitting her about Joe Biden's voicemail, uh, the laptop. I forget, she was getting hit on something else. It just seems like every day she's getting hit and she just doesn't have any answers. Well, I think it was uh, the Supreme Court threats, the threats against the Supreme Court justices. She's like, I'm moving on. <laughs> like, she can't condemn it. But Right, she said, well... Yeah, she got hit on a few things. She got hit on Hunter Biden's voicemails to Joe Biden, both by Philip Wegman from Real Clear and Ducey. And yeah, she was she was asked again to, uh, I think it was the Samantha B comments, and she was asked again to condemn that, or at least distance. And she just said, "I'm moving on. We're not going to talk about this." And she she is a master, and I think she's the only one left now of the original team. Remember, it was like it was Joe Biden's girl power team and three of them are now off the island they've left um and i and i don't date i don't doubt for a second kate benningfeld will end up probably like nbc or cnn or anywhere like that um but she's just not politico just had a piece on her where it was like how bad i think joe just mentioned that and they said it always appears like she's reading from the page well that's because she's fucking reading from the page all the time she's not someone who is prepared for off-the-cuff questions and the majority of that room, she probably knows what they're going to ask um, because she probably asked for a version of it before the briefing so they can give a polished answer that doesn't create news. But she is a press secretary that every single time she takes a podium, she creates a bigger story because of how bad her answers are. And the press knows that, which was kind of they fired a shot across her bow and just said, you guys got to be better at this. Um, we know why she was chosen. She wasn't chosen for her, you know, her political acumen. We all know that. Um, but again, you have to be able to do that job. And, and you can point to Scaramucci or Sean Spicer, who to me weren't very good at it. I think Kaylee McEnany was probably Trump's best press secretary. But again, if you, she's completely unprepared, she just says, well, I'm moving on. Like, whatever. Well, now you've just created a bigger story because people are going to sit up and go, huh, so she doesn't want to talk about this. She doesn't want to condemn threats against the Supreme Court uh, or even specific justices. And again, that makes that that puts a target on her back as far as people going, oh, so you're now creating a bigger story for the administration. And so, again, I don't even know how long she's going to last in that job. I don't. They were talking about how Kirby has to come in and answer questions about foreign policy. And there was some leftist outlet who said this is condescending and racist to have this white man standing over her shoulder. And I'm just like, they, they have one thing that they talk about and, and that's it for, for, the, for the most part. Um, just two quick things here. I'm not going to really dive into much. Uh, the WNBA player, I think it's Brittany Griner. Uh, it's insane that she's still in Russian prison. And uh, somebody else mentioned um, the GDP numbers come out at the end of the month, and uh, it looks like everything's gonna looks like it's gonna shrink, which will be two straight quarters, which is the definition of a recession. Yeah, and, that's Putin's uh, fault. And CNN had like a headline on June thirtieth or. It was a few days ago. It was like, who defines a recession? Eight white economists that you don't know their names. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, that this is this is they have one they have one thing that they're going to keep hitting. The problem is the majority of the country and half the country's been accused of being racist since two thousand and eight, and people just tune it out now. It's just like we don't care and call us whatever you want. It, it took a while, but there is a level of apathy, which is why you know nobody watches that network and. Uh, the race of the economists don't really matter, but th they're going to they're keep pounding that. 
uh, I have a piece coming tomorrow about Brittany Griner uh, to Spectator. Um, it's basically, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's basically how the country itself is being accused of being sexist and racist for not being more mad about it. And we saw this phenomenon with Obama. And this was actually the same excuse of, over George Floyd, which was when Syria happened, it wasn't Obama needs to do something. It was the United States needs to do something. It's the United States. We need more leadership from the United States. The United States has to take more of a role. And it's like, no, talk to the fucking guy in charge over there. Uh, it's the bring back our girls hashtag. And it's like, you're married to the guy who can send a SEAL team. Like, what are you doing? Um, and we saw this like with George Floyd. It wasn't enough that it was a cop in Minneapolis because that would force us to examine policing policy in a city run by Democrats since the 1960s. It's the entire country is racist. The entire country must come to terms with how racist you are. And now we're seeing this with Brittany Griner, which is, uh, we saw this with Bill Plaschke, who said, if this was Tom Brady, we'd all be screaming, where's the outrage? Well, we know why. It's because you're all racist. And I'm like, no, the country isn't racist because the Biden administration isn't doing enough to bring her home. And, and I agree, regardless of the drug charges or anything like that, I agree they should be trying to bring her home. And what you're probably going to see is a prisoner swap uh, to do that. And Biden's going to let go probably a Russian arms dealer or an oligarch, or a relative of an oligarch. And he's going to take the hit from people like me who are going to go, wait a second, this is our biggest th you know, threat in the tw century that you laughed off 12 years ago. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be writing about that, which is, again, how for some reason we're always responsible for the actions of somebody like Joe Biden. Um, and remember, the country is racist and therefore we don't care about Brittany Griner when actually this is your way of, you know, copying out the fact that the guy in charge is incompetent and can't do anything to bring her home because there's probably a Hunter Biden P tape. Yeah, I mean, I have a few friends that like they aren't even like majorly political and they don't care about the WNBA. But he should clearly bring her home. I mean, Trump Trump got Leangelo Ball out of Chinese prison, and he got ASAP Rocky. Yeah, yeah, out yeah of, like, ASAP Rocky from, from the failed terrorist state of Sweden also. Right, yeah, he got so, him out too. Yeah, um, so I mean, I have a piece kind of covering uh, a lot of that tomorrow. But uh, thank yep, you. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, I'm just going to kind of go in order. I'll take Donna. I'm still looking for Ivan. Uh, Ivan, if you're down somewhere on that list... As I'm scrolling, feel free to jump back up in the queue and I'll take you next again. Sorry about that. That was just bad timing. Uh, Donna, go ahead. What's your open topic fun explosion post 4th of July? Well, that was cool. Uh, a notification just came up with an unmute button. I guess people get sick yeah. and tired of getting yeah. dropped. Because Ca can't Colin's learning. They're, they're good. I, I talk to them a lot about tech and they're very responsive and they're always trying to improve their app so no they're they're a good they're a good group of people over there that is a very nice feature um i'm gonna keep it real short because i'm here way too much but i love your call and i i really do i thoroughly enjoy myself listening to your various topics um just wondering what you thought about the media just swarming around john hinckley jr and Asking what his thoughts are on gun control. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't read this. I saw he so he's being interviewed by ABC News. I follow him on Twitter. I, I followed his actual Twitter account, and I, I, I you see me pop up on it once in a while. I kind of like to just troll history's worst monsters until they block me, like OJ. I do miss OJ, um, but yeah, they're they're now they found their latest 
brilliant mind on gun control. And it's John Hinckley, the mentally ill guy who tried to kill Ronald Reagan with a pistol. Um, you just you have to shrug and just kind of laugh at it. It, it reminds me when CNN put Richard Spencer on the air because Richard Spencer hated Donald Trump. So Jake Tapper, in all of his fucking wisdom, decided if you're against Trump, I'm going to hear you out. And he puts Richard fuck an actual white, an actual modern day Nazi to go on CNN and simply to shit talk Trump. And that's what kind of this thing with Hinckley reminds me of. It's, it's like you actually you have a guy who tried to assassinate a U.S. president. And now the media is going to hold him up as an expert on mental health and gun control. And you just you can, what, can, what can you say about it? It's, it's one of those things, again, where they think they're making a point. And I think most people just kind of go, well, what are you doing, guys? Like, I don't want to hear from this person. I, you know, I don't care if you tell me he's reformed or whatever. But again, you know, if he, if he had succeeded in assassinating Reagan, he'd probably have tenure by now. I'd be waiting for Rolling Stone to go down and interview. Yeah, he'd be he'd, uh, he'd be Chapman he'd be at Columbia or NYU about. teaching a course, probably. <laughs> yeah, right. And he still might end up doing that. Hinkley? He's Maybe himself? we'll see. I mean, is that who you? I'm sorry, because I had mentioned Mark Chapman. I was going to say Rolling Stone probably going down and ask Mark Chapman what he thinks next. It's too bad. Uh, you know, OJ. Uh, well, I lost OJ's account too, because I used to follow him as well. Um, I loved his, he's, he's one of those people that, you know, he's a murderer, but he's so charming. His videos were really good. <laughs> so I don't know. I miss him. Yeah. Yes. Certain people certainly fell for that charm and, and those people are no longer with us. <laughs> right. Most, most sociopaths are, but he could sell. That's certainly my knives, excuse. I have no doubt. That's certainly my excuse why I'm so good at this. <laughs> um, so I'm going to move on and let everybody else get a chance. I hope you have a wonderful Great. evening. Thanks, Thank Donna. You. Take care. Uh, we'll just start writing down the list here. Uh, Brandon. Brandon Green, one of my subbers, I noticed. Uh, we'll keep going. I'll get through these last nine callers up to Dan, and then if Ivan for some reason jumps back in, uh, we'll take Ivan as well. So I'll, I'll do the cutoff at, at, at Dan. So, Brandon, what's on your mind? Open topic, fun explosion. Hey, Steve, what do you, can you hear me okay? What, yeah, what did you think of Nancy Pelosi's uh, tatas? Uh, I'm trying really hard to unsee that. That was uh, <laughs> not, not my thing. Like, but if you just, if, is it because it's her? If you just like cut her head, if you crop the photo, I almost probably got the CIA on my butt. But if you crop the photo just from like the, the neck down, I mean, what would you, what would you rate that? Uh, pretty low. Really? So it's not uh, just, it's, it's the actual thing. It's not that it's Nancy Pelosi. I'm trying to make uh, you as unbiased and uncomfortable as possible right now. Yeah, and I, I'm not into critiquing women's bodies, I guess, at least not in a, in a recorded conversation. <laughs> very, very <laughs> smart. I can't, I can't edit it out, you know, post-show. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, there's a big difference between that and Paige Baronic, I guess. Even if you cut Paige's head off. but Not if you close your eyes tr- really hard. <laughs> uh, sorry, man. I'm not taking the bait. <laughs> All right, fine. What else, what else did you want to talk about? I might just ask everyone um, else this question: Samuel, Josh, Jay, Joseph. It's a bunch of dudes back there. They're, I think they're all <laughs> dudes back there. So I don't know. They all know what's coming now. Pardon the pun. Um, yeah. So I wanted to pick up on something your first caller was talking about with uh, regard to Biden's um, poll numbers. Uh, 
when the recession hits later this year, um, and it's definitely going to hit, and people start getting laid off, um, I, I'm pretty sure those numbers are going to be in the 20s. And that a lot of that has to do with the, with the type of president that Biden is. He's uh, There's basically two general categories of presidents. You have establishment presidents and you have movement presidents. Um, an establishment president is going to get more broad-based support during an election, but that support is a lot more fickle. And Biden is definitely one of those people. Um, Bush was also an establishment president. And I think at the end of or towards the end of 2008, after the uh, economy crashed, I think his number, there was an outlier poll that had him in the low 20s. That may have been, I I, I would guess the average is probably somewhere in the upper 20s at that point. But I I think Biden's going to be at about that place. Um, If if you look at, um, you know, I don't think Trump's polling. I'm not sure if his polls ever got below 30% or so. And then, uh, because he was a, a movement president. He was a guy who had, you know, no, no matter no matter how crazy he acted or whatever dumb things he said, um, you know, he always had that base that was there for him. And Obama was the same. I don't think, you know, he lost, what, like a, a thousand seats, a thousand partisan seats across the country during his presidency. And his polling, I don't think, ever went below the 40s or so. So, um, yeah, that's 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 basically what I had to add to that. And uh, yeah. I also... Sorry, yeah, I think yeah, I think Joe's right. He just he doesn't have a base of enthusiasm. He doesn't have a hardcore group of people that are going to defend him. Apparently, other than the Washington Post and the Atlantic. All right. I also had a question for you. Um, I'm sure that you've probably seen uh, Jeff Bezos throwing shade at at uh, um, Biden on yeah. Twitter over economic and, issues and Karine and- Jean Pierre getting into it with him, which is again just an amateur mistake. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, she makes a lot of those. Um, so there's a couple ways to look at that. I mean, he has business interests to defend. I'm sure that he's probably trying to nudge the Democratic Party back to a place of fiscal sanity. Good luck. Um, but I'm also wondering if this, if he's sort of dipping his toe into the water and looking at 2024. I was wondering what you thought about that. Uh, I can't imagine why he would want to do that. Um it would be interesting. It would be interesting to say, let's say he does. Let's say, let's say grumbling start, like whatever, Bezo, you know, Lex Luthor decides he wants to be president, which is kind of what that would be. Um, the interesting thing about, I'll entertain the idea just strictly for the discussion. The interesting about that is what does the Washington Post do? How does the Washington Post cover him? Because he owns the Washington Post. Um, it would be one of those just funny things about, again, how... You know, they accuse Trump of, you know, backhandedly kind of just being a Fox News guy. Like Fox News just pumped him up all the time because he's a billionaire, all his power. He doesn't have a stake in Fox News. So that would be the ethical question is that the Washington Post has any of those left um, about how does the Washington Post go about covering a presidential candidate that owns their business? And every single time you, you had a story that would even f- show him remotely in a favorable light, you would have people like me probably, you know, screaming until dawn about what is going on here. Why does why does he not divest from the Washington Post, and why doesn't the, the Post demand he do so? Um, I, I don't mainly because there just hasn't been a lot of talk about it yet. Um, so I, I don't see that happening. I can't imagine why he would. I mean, he might. Who knows? Um, he's someone with name, obviously name recognition. He has the money. He has like Trump. 
Um, he can jump in and, you know, he wouldn't need a ton of infrastructure similar to Trump. He would just use his own money. But uh, I, I can't imagine why in the world he'd want to do that. It'd be interesting because Amazon, Amazon is such a weird company that Dems hate, but that he owns, but sometimes they like it. Like we saw, you know, Ocasio-Cortez keep an Amazon warehouse out of her district because of gentrification or whatever excuse she had. Um, it, it's supposedly anti-union, and now they're starting to kind of unionize in certain places. So it'd be it'd be interesting to see what the reaction would be from like the Bernie Sanders wing. But I, I just I don't know if I see it happening. Yeah, I'm not sure I see it either. Although I have to wonder at this point of his his life and his career. I mean, he's already built one of the most powerful companies in the world. You know, he's built a space travel company. You know, I think the combination of boredom and ego might might nudge him in that direction but i you know even if he decided to i I'm not, i don't think it would end up particularly well for him but anyway thanks for letting me know your, your opinion on that and uh have a good evening cheers thanks brandon uh like i said we'll go we'll run down we'll get to dan here um samuel rate nancy pelosi's rack um i will circle back on that at a later time i'm not going to comment on that right now no thank you Oh, every single one of you guys are getting this question. And the the person who answers honestly, uh, I will take as the first caller next episode. So I'm just more, I'm just telling you guys this, the more uncomfortable it makes you, the more I'm going to go into it. So Samuel, but what else, what else would you like to talk about be, besides your cowardice in rating Nancy Pelosi's rack? That's all right. I, I'm fine with that. Um, the main thing is just that, and I know we all knew it was going to happen, but the, uh, Never DeSantis. DeSantis is worse than Trump is starting to crop his head up. And, of course, it's from everybody's best friend in Max Boot. But it's like, you know, it was so predictable. And it's kind of just funny to see it along the backdrop of January 6th committee. And how DeSantis is worse than Trump, but also January 6th is the worst day in American history. So it, it really makes you wonder. Um but also it just shows how terrified they are of him. And I even saw, uh, it was Max Boots piece. So he's the one who commented on it, but I even saw like Joe Walsh, who of course, Joe Walsh is a shit eater. I hate him. He can go to hell as far as I'm concerned, but even he commented on Max Boots article and was like, I won't vote for DeSantis, but this is not true. So I'm kind of interested in just kind of an online thing of what happens to kind of the never Trump, never DeSantis movement. Like, do they start sniping at each other more or do they eventually just kind of coalesce and um, join hands again and grift for all that sweet cash, um, you know, in the upcoming elections? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Um, Remember, it was always never Trump. And, And I'm someone who didn't vote for Donald Trump. Um, but I certainly could not go as far and join those clowns who embrace the people who created Trump, essentially, which is American media. Um, and remember, it was supposed to be never Trump. It was never like, but now they're shifting it to never Trumpism, and they're not going to be able to tell you why. And my problem with Trump was always the messenger. And to me, he's just a bad messenger and he's going to end up causing a lot of problems. And that's what happened. I know people argue they got a lot of things out of it and, and that's true. I'll, I'll concede that. 
But because that that's where their audience is now, and this and this will be one of those ultimate signs about these people are again they're nihilists. They don't believe in anything, and all they did is prove that they just sold out the political base for years and years and years. Um, and so you have to pay particular attention to how these guys are going to posture themselves, how obviously the bulwark seems to be pretty anti-DeSantis completely like, nope, we're not, we're not, we're all in on Larry Hogan or Liz Cheney. Well, the political reality is neither of those two are going to be president. And I don't think either of those two are going to swing enough votes to even matter to cause, say, a third party to come in or a Democrat to win, which is what they would want. So that's all out. So now you're going to see a shift to like never DeSantis or whatever. And, and those people should be made to ju- to say, okay, what do, what do you mean by this? Like, why is this one not good enough for you guys? Oh, he's too Trumpian. How, how does that work exactly? And again, to me, it was always the problem with the messenger, which is why, again, I, I can't go as far as, you know, some of those other guys have gone because the other, the other irony in this, and we saw this long thread from, um, Confederate cooler paraphernalia owner Rick Wilson today calling Ron DeSantis Jeb Bush. And it's like, well, there's the brilliant advice that led you to not winning an election since Rudy Giuliani in New York City um, because he's not Jeb Bush. Ron DeSantis is someone who the base is very enthused about. Whether he decides to run or not is you know, irrelevant. The base is enthused about him because he just always picks the right fights and he's always on message and he's usually informed of what, what the media is doing so he knows how to push back. It's not like, an, like a, a fire hose of spraying bullshit like when Trump attacks the media. He's very laser-like focused. He's very business-like. And so the, the, the irony there is Ron DeSantis is the exact kind of candidate someone like Rick Wilson would love, but Rick can't do it anymore because that's not where his money is. And he knows the second he comes out and tries to go back through that door, he's not getting back through that door. And his only hope at an income is to stay on MSNBC and stay doing the Lincoln Project stuff. And so he has to uh, and those guys have to stay on that message which it's going to be glorious if DeSantis runs against Charlie Chris with Rick, trust me. So oh, you're, you're going to see a lot of that. And a lot of it is professional calculism. It's, it's, they're making a calculated decision professionally. It's going to be interesting to see where like the dispatch comes down on it, where Stephen Hayes comes down on it, or Jonah Goldberg comes down on it. Um, and so you do have to pay attention because remember, and let's say, let's say it's not Trump. Let's say Trump doesn't win or he doesn't run or uh, he runs and he gets beat out of the primaries by DeSantis or whomever um, that remember, that was always their goal. It was always never Trump. It was never, never whatever this is, because at some point you just now are a Democrat and those guys should be made to, to stand by that. The principal's first crew who votes for Democrats, Joe Biden. Um, I can somewhat, get the argument that you vote for Joe Biden because he's not Donald Trump. Well, those of us who paid attention to politics for 40 years know that Joe Biden would be also an unmitigated disaster. And you were under no obligation to vote for either of them. Like I did. I didn't vote for Joe Biden or Donald Trump and I sleep great at night. Um, and so those people need to be made to remember that if you basically vote for two Democrats, if those, if those people actually go and endorse someone like Kamala Harris or Gavin Newsom or AOC, that's your party now. You're a Democrat and they should be called and they should be called that repeatedly. We already know Bill Crystal's there. We already know, like I said, most of the bulwark people are there. Um, and like I said, the irony is, is DeSantis is the kind of candidate all of them would fucking die for even eight years ago. 
you could argue Chris Christie was kind of the precursor to who Ron DeSantis is. If you if you go back to 2010, 2011, Chris Christie was the governor making all the waves and they all got on board. And so now they can't because they all, you know, burned the bridges and they should be made to remember that. Well, just to kind of piggyback off of that a little bit, um, this is the other thing I wanted to contribute. Uh, number one, just the I, I noticed in the past two days, this article from over a year ago from, of course, Salon going around uh, that DeSantis signed a law that required you to register your party view in like academia. Right. And, you know, it's just kind of weird that it came. It's a year old. It's fake. You know, it's fake news. Politifact so, rated it false, I, like not mostly false, right. not mostly true. They rated it, you know, false, just straight up false. I have a and theory that- as to why that re- why that resurfaced when it did. If you remember, two what was it, two three days ago, Gavin Newsom ran an ad on Fox News, basically yep. going after DeSantis in Florida. All of a sudden, this year old Salon article suddenly resurfaced. Nobody knows like who who really did it, but there were certain names who brought it up and stood by it. And to me, that's not an accident that most likely what I think happened is Gavin Newsom's people pushed that out. They didn't look at the date. They just pushed it out to certain friendly journalist outlets and people on Twitter. And then they tweeted it. And we saw that with USA Today investigative reporter. Yeah. And then it just spread and it spread and spread and spread. And eventually it was like, what, what the shit is this? And so pay attention to the people who, push that out because those are probably the people that are talking with Gavin Newsom right now in the media. Yeah. The fact they can't even check the date is kind of amazing, but uh, on your point about Chris Christie, I think this is not really anything going on along in media, but just something I, I commented on one of uh, Varad's posts on Twitter and just said, if DeSantis doesn't run in 2024, he'll never be president. And I got a swarm of Trumpers in my comments and for an account that has not very many followers, I had a lot of comments and people just forget history, basic history. Chris Christie in 2012, he didn't run and he ran in 2016. And what the hell happened? The only thing he contributed was killing Marco Rubio, which I admit was glorious but as has been pointed out, it was a murder-suicide because his campaign was already dead because by the time 2016 came around, Christie was irrelevant. Nobody cared what he had to say anymore. And, you know, I'm not saying DeSantis would fade, but if he ran in 2028, he'd be out of the governorship by 2026. So that's a year and a half or so where he's got he's not doing anything other than maybe giving speeches or whatever. And... People don't understand that politician, you have to take the opportunity when it's there. So I think there's about a 99% chance he runs, whether or not Trump runs or not. And even if he loses to Trump in the primary, he could still run again after that. But if he doesn't run now, the history says he'll become irrelevant and never have a chance to be president. So I just want people to remember history and remember that, you know, if you miss your chance, you're done. And it's really just as simple as that. Same for Scott Walker, too. He probably could have ran in 2012, but he didn't. He ran in 2016. And, I mean, what was he, like, second to last of a long... He, among- he, was, he was the Kamala Harris of that election. Yeah. So, and I like Scott Walker. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't take your opportunity when it's there, 
where everybody's going to pass you by and the new hotness, whoever that's going to be, is going to overtake you and there's nothing you can do about it. You're also, you're also making a case for Ocasio-Cortez, whether you know it or not. Unfortunately, I don't think she can make it through a primary, though. I, I just don't think she could do that. I don't but think so, you know but what? she's also young enough to where she would she would learn from one campaign and then do it again and, and do she what could run Sanders it. did, just run every four years or every eight years or whatever it is. Uh, she could, Samuel, run, she Samuel, could run more times yeah. than Joe Biden did. Yeah, maybe. Uh, what's your, what's your speaking of, what's your Twitter handle, just so if people want to get you? Um, I'm not going to share that. I like to say. Oh, okay. Thank so, you. You, I, okay, I'm so you're not sharing a Twitter handle. You're not sharing your rating on Nancy Pelosi's rack. Nope. <sighs> Disappointed in you, Samuel. It's all right. I understand. Okay. All right. Th- thanks, Sam. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and get through this line here. Josh, would you like to step up to the mic and, and take a crack at rating Nancy Pelosi's rack on a scale? scale of Grandma out of ten. You, you what? Grandma out of ten. There you go. Thank you. Not that I agree. I'm just saying it's nice that we can actually get some some honesty here in this room for a change. What's on your mind? Oh, they're they're obviously big and fake. So they're obviously fake. It's like if my own grandma flashed me her rack. I would not like that at all. Uh, you think you think they're fake? So like, you uh, think she's had work done on those? I mean, she's clearly had work done in other places, but you think she's actually had work done on? She those? can afford it. Yeah, yeah, great. The American taxpayer paid for Nancy Pelosi's rack. That's great. That, that that's some serious crying game shit. Yeah, so did a lot of shady stock options. Yeah, Josh, Josh, what else is on your mind? Unless this is all you want to talk about, we can go. So, we can go for a minute on Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> no, rack. please, I don't ever want to have that. The only thing I ever talk about here. Uh, no, you mentioned a while back you wanted to see why journos know uh, don't uh, and why they don't really know about civics. So, I'm a student. But I'm a little bit older. I'm about 20 years older than a lot of other freshmen. I get to see how the sausage is made here. So the professors don't really promote an understanding of civic education. And the students who are doing that don't care. Now, I'm adjacent to journalism. It's more I'm an English student. Uh, so neither of these people are looking for it, and they don't care. So what they're doing is that they whatever is they consider by some sort of arbitrary standard to be fair or unfair is how they judge something. So our current civics to them are unfair and unjust. That's what they want to do. That's what they care about. <clears throat> in that context, in that context, the Constitution doesn't matter. So it doesn't matter what they think about how the law works, how the process works. Whatever is gets them their desired outcome, gets them their power, is what matters. It doesn't matter what the civic education is. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's truth to that. And truth to that. How they're polling, you know, they're polling. The Supreme Court, like they're saying, Supreme Court is facing its lowest approval numbers ever. And, and I look at that and I just laugh and I shrug. I'm like, I don't care. We're not, we're not, the Supreme Court doesn't exist for your approval. You know, it's, they, they don't, they don't make laws. They don't rule on laws based on popularity. And so, especially in our media, they, that's a concept, especially all the young journalists, which most of them are now, uh, they just, they don't understand that. And again, you know, they don't, to your point about the constitution, the constitution doesn't care about what your polling says either. And so when you see this, this decision about Roe get kicked back and you see the journals who, again, 98% of our media is, is pro-choice. The pro-life position is just completely kicked out of it completely. Um, they sit there and they call it a constitutional right. Well, it was never a constitutional right, uh, period. And, and just right by saying that, you you reveal your ignorance to the matter. And, and that's how easy it is with a lot of them today. They, they give themselves up very, very easily 
on what their motivations are. And, and to your point, that's that's what it is. A lot of it is uh, I'm, I'm going to use my byline for activism and it's not about following facts to wherever they go. That doesn't interest me anymore. It's about changing the world with through journalism. And most of the world-changing journalism that has always happened is done so the traditional way. Um, the rest of it is you're just, you, you just decided to be in the arena and then when you come up against someone you don't like, you decide, I don't like the arena and you're, and you're yelling at me and you're abusing me and you're online harassing me. Um, and the, the, the rest of us just go, what are you talking about? Like, what, what are you talking about? A criticism of your work is not online harassment. Now, I know that that online harassment's out there. I, I get that. Um, but that's also very easy to turn off. And like I said, you, you can be one of two things. You can be a someone working in journalism who is so offended at a Twitter joke that it sends you on a three week long tirade that results in you being fired or you're a firefighter rushing to a story and you're brave and you're the, and you really are the brave truth telling first amendment defenders. And you're one of those things, but you can't be both of those things. Uh, Josh, do you have any, any closing things? Yeah. So, Oh, uh, just that these, I see a lot of this from these, a lot of these students are young and they're 18, 19 years old and they, have been steeped in this their whole life. And it's just like they, it's terrifying what they're going to go through, uh, what they're about to inflict on the rest of the world, especially the education majors who are some of the dumbest people I've ever met. Uh, and what they're doing now is this activism. That's all they care about. That's all they want in the world. They don't care about anything else. It's kind of infuriating. Um, well, I mean, the, the only thing, I mean, and it's not going to get better because you have, you have an again a new, a new class of academia that is basically breeding these people and training them to be this certain way, and like we always said, you know, the hope was that you know they, they come out of academia and they come out of college campuses and they get into the real world and they get a heavy dose of reality. And what we've seen is that didn't happen. Um, you have you know a, a real economy structure where companies are still frightened of social media. I do think that's going to change eventually, where you know, companies who threaten, you know, or employees who threaten companies because we don't like your political donations or whatever, um, that's eventually going to change. And we just, we saw this, we just saw this, this story, and this is still one of the funniest things that I saw this week, was this guy uh, who said he couldn't come to work because he was in mourning over Roe v. Wade. <laughs> the company just went, okay, you're fired. And that's it. And you know what? There'll be a section of media who will who give that guy a microphone and try to shame the company. Or we saw with NBC that, you know, the NBC's airline reporter was going after the airlines about to get their thoughts on Roe v. Wade. And a lot of the airlines just went, I'm not fucking giving you a comment on this. Like, whatever. And they try to get all outraged and say, well, this is morally threat. And your company has a responsibility. And you're seeing more and more now companies just say, no, we don't. And so, again, that's a form of journalism that to me is going to go away. It's going to take a while, but they're going to have to learn, one, there's no profit in it, and two, you're just not going to get anywhere. Yeah, the only thing I can agree with is that eventually this dam is going to break, but it's going to be long after any of us are done with our professional careers. Yeah, that's all maybe. I to say about I mean, that. Yeah, pendulums maybe. swing hard and fast, and so I think it probably swings a lot faster than you're expecting. Uh, go through these last six callers here. Hopefully wrap this up so you guys can get get to your night. Jay, open topic, fun explosion. Would you like to rate Nancy Pelosi's rack? Uh, probably not. I was surprised, but uncomfortable. Surprised how? Um, yeah, I think you understand. No, I don't. I don't understand. I'm not a mind reader. Surprised how? 
that she would show any of it was kind of my surprise. Well, she was, she was in Europe. Okay. They have different rules over there. Fair. So Fair. what, what else is, what else is on your mind, Jay? So it's kind of something you've been talking about a little bit recently. And something I've kind of noticed is how you think the left is kind of starting to have their own version of the tea party. But the more I think about it, I'm not quite clear or understand where that groundswell of support would come from because most of the working class, I think has abandoned them for a generation. And then they're still so reliant on uh, Hollywood and all those all like white liberals. And I don't understand where that groundswell of support would be to have anything like a 2010 happen. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that already did happen with, with Joe Crowley and AOC, Ocasio Cortez. Sorry, I don't call her that. The only people that need to be called by their initials are airports and assassinated presidents. And that's it. She's not either of those things yet. Um, I think you could argue it already kind of happened because the Eric Cantor losing uh, to McCarthy was a huge one. That, that people forget that's kind of that was the first sign of the Tea Party was, you know, Eric Cantor was in line to be Speaker of the House. He was the next, you know, he was I think he was one of the young guns on the cover of Time with like Paul Ryan or whatever. And he got he got ousted. And it was a, it was an earthquake because people are like, oh, shit, what's going on here? And because of the media popularity that she carries and because of, you know, her Instagram and, and the importance media puts on her, uh, despite her just complete nothingness between those two ears of hers, you could argue that, that that's what that was. The, prog- the progressive wing of, you know, the Bernie Sanders, the social, the, the, the Justice Democrats, the DSA, that, that wing is equal to, the, you know, the Tea Party on the right. Now, they've, they've had already some of those elections. Rashida Tlaib, Cory Bush, Anya Presley, Ian Omar, uh, obviously Ocasio-Cortez. So you could argue that they've, it's just, it didn't happen as fast and as in one shot, you know, where, you know, Rubio knocks off an establishment and then Rand Paul knocks off an establishment and Ted Cruz, all of those guys who came through in that Tea Party movement. So I, I would argue that you're already seeing it. It's just taking a longer time. And then it, I, I think it, it's how does it manifest from here? Because they don't really have the candidates coming into this midterm. This midterm is going to be a pretty much a red wave in some form or another. So then the question becomes, how does it manifest itself with their displeasure with Biden? Which is, like I said, if you think that they're completely helpless right now, they're in a majority and they're talking like they're losing. And that was the other thing with the Tea Party. The Tea Party was like, we're getting our asses kicked. And it was like, well, no, you're not. You're not really getting your asses kicked. You're, you're suing Obama. Boehner wasn't really just delivering the results fast enough to, you know, that that was, you know, pleasurable to somebody like Laura Ingram or Sean Hannity, who was on every night just killing the establishment Republicans. And eventually you're going to see, I think, especially MSNBC primetime like Chris Hayes and uh, Maddow. And you're going to see these people, Lawrence O'Donnell, really start to turn against Democrat establishment uh, because they're just realizing Nancy Pelosi and her eh, eight. Rack is like 130 years old. Joe Biden is 80 years old. These people are all, you know, whatever. And you need to find a youth movement. And generally, the youth movement is coming from the very progressive wing, the social justice wing, the justice Democrat, the democratic socialist wing. So I don't think it's a Tea Party in the sense of congressional. It will be if Joe Biden faces a primary challenge. And that could be from Ocasio Cortez. It could be from someone like that. It could be from uh, somebody like 
you know, Anya Presley. It could be from Gavin Newsom, who isn't really Tea Party, but he's a fresh face, and they're just going to go, oh, thank God this guy's not 90 years old. Um, so so when I say that, and I think I've been saying this ever since she Ocasio-Cortez won her race against Joe Crowley, which was like, you know, 6,000 votes. All he had to do was to take it seriously, and we're in a completely different place today. And Joe Crowley was kind of Eric Cantor's level. They were talking about Crowley was going to be the heir apparent to Pelosi. And so there's a lot of uh, parallels to that. I just think that if that earthquake happens, it's not going to be congressionally. It's going to be Joe Biden getting knocked out in a primary, a sitting president getting primaried out, which we've never seen. And I think that that's the political earthquake. Yeah, part of the reason I asked is just because once the AOC and the rest of those got in, they still turned around and supported Pelosi for speaker. And I just don't see them. I mean, do, do you think Hakeem Jeffries is part of the same mold in terms of just kowtowing to that that group? Maybe. I mean, if you look at the ideas that they're putting out and – if if you look at they're, they're, the last thing in the world they're recommending right now is to legislate and figure out how okay how can we actually how can we actually do the work of codifying Roe? Um, I don't know. We're going to put abortion teepees in parks, and you just kind of go what? Like we're gonna we're gonna impeach Clarence Thomas? What? Like these are all nutty fucking ideas. But it gets the ear of the media and it gets the ear of the base. And so, well, at least they're fighting. Sound familiar? Like I said, and I cited several of these in my examiner piece, you know, they want a mean president. They want someone who doesn't just lay down and take it. We've heard all of this on the political right. We heard all of it before. And like I said, that's probably going to lend them to like nominating somebody like Sean Penn or some shit like that. I mean, that's honestly how I see this happening. Um, it's, it's going to be someone who just it comes out with and campaigns on some of these nutty ideas. And you would kind of hope that it revs their base up, but it doesn't get too far electorally. But we've been down this road. Uh, if Donald Trump can win an election, anybody can win a fucking election. And it's just that simple. And it's just not on the political right. Yeah, that was all I had. So appreciate it. Thanks, Jay. Yeah. Joseph, there he is. Give me, give me your rating on Nancy. Oh. Joseph, he dropped. Okay, I didn't do that one. Uh, we'll go into Sean. Sean looks like a new face. Sean, would you like to rate Nancy Pelosi's rack while we have you, fellas? If it's all going to be a sausage fest, I'm going to put you on the spot. It's just how it is. I wish we had more females, um, but it's just that's not the case today. Sean, if you want to unmute your mic, it's just right down there at the bottom, uh, the icon right next to the thumbs up. All right, I'm going to move on. Uh, Joseph, welcome back. Would you uh, would you care to give us your rating on Nancy Pelosi's uh, l- lustrous uh, bathing suit rack? Hey, try to you're 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 muted again. I got my earbuds off. Okay, there you go. I give it a six. A, a six? What what about it makes it a six? It's a four point deduction, given the fact that it's a <laughs> eighty year old woman. <laughs> No point deduction that it's Nancy Pelosi. It's a, it's a decent rack. I just wish it didn't belong to that old hag. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is pro- this is going to be the one that gets us all canceled, by the way, which I'm totally fine with. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be, these are going to be the clips they edit for. They spent time 
misogyny on Nancy Pelosi. It's like, no, we're not. We're, we're largely complimenting it. You know, it was it was surprising. I don't think any of us were. were I don't think any of us were, were expecting that. And like I said, it's Europe. They have different rules over there. Have you ever been clipped by Media Matters? Uh, I've never been clipped by them. I have. They've taken tweets of mine. Um, but as far as like a story where they run me as the headline, I don't even think they did it for Wonder Woman. I, I just, I don't think I'm on their radar enough. You know, if, a few more times than Jesse Kelly, I might be. Um, <laughs> I was really trying to push that button with, you know, saying the thing, if you really want to upset Samantha B, tell her her kids have to go to school with black children. <laughs> um, I thought, I thought that one might get me there, but again, they didn't, alas. So I, I just I think I, I'm too independent to be on their radar. They 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 go after bigger fish, but this might be the one because this is public. So they're just yeah. going to say, you know, spectator editor spends hour, you know, with listeners rating Nancy Pelosi's, you know, gor- gor- gorgeous large breasts. I don't know, but whatever. We've been largely, as I've as I've said, complimentary, and even the guys who didn't want to do it, I think it's because they're secretly like. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So I'm not too worried about it. Uh, that's what I'm saying is that it's not it's not a bad rag. It's just that it belongs to Nancy Pelosi. Right. That's kind of, you know, I mean, and granted, she's old, but, you know, Vavoom. We didn't we didn't think the Dems had a secret weapon going into the midterms. And, and here she comes. So left through five wars. <laughs> yeah, yes, that rack has seen some shit. That's true. <laughs> Um, I guess my only other question I have for the night is like, what do you think about the recent like uh, controversy with like uh, uh, Jordan Pearson and Dave Rubin getting you know, you know, suspended off Twitter because of the whole dead naming thing with um, uh, Elliot Page? Uh, the 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 dead naming thing is really curious to me because it's one of these where, uh, as I said, Twitter Twitter always picks the easy fight. They know that, you know, they. although I would argue when they ban Jordan Peterson or, or Ruben, those guys at least have a name. So it's not like you're kicking off a Miley Yiannopoulos or a Laura Loomer, which is an easy fight for them. They can just say, oh, well, this is some rampant Islamophobia. You're gone. Um, the dead naming thing is really curious to me because here's how I look at this whole thing. As I've always said, when it comes when it comes to people, especially if, if you don't always agree with them, um, and, and I'm not talking necessarily like on Twitter where it's kind of an online battlefield. But if there's someone in your life who has different political views than you like that, I always kind of take the attitude of don't be a dick. So I've had friends who are trans. I've had friends who are gay. And uh, not, I shouldn't say had. I have. Um, yeah. So if if they want me to call them by the name Elliot, I'm like – Okay, I have no problem doing that. Elliot, sure, that's your name. That's what you want me to call you. I will call you that. And then if someone says to me, and this has never happened, I've never had this happen in the wild, where someone gives me their pronouns. And then if someone says, and I want you to address me as they, them. That's where I kind of get off the bus and go, yeah. But you're telling me to lie. Like, <laughs> exactly. th- this thing, like the weirdest thing, Jim Treacher had a great post about this with Ezra Miller where one of Ezra Miller's victims used like the wrong pronouns while they were interviewing them. And the meet, the reporter shamed them going, well, that's not the preferred pronoun. And they went back and changed the actual quotes. I think this was, it was either variety or vanity fair went back and changed her quotes. So to use Ezra Miller's actual pronouns. 
And I'm thinking, here's a guy who's like holding girls at gunpoint. Like he's a complete fucking creeper and we're supposed to be respectful of him. Like, I don't understand this. Like someone could go on like a shooting spree, a mass shooter, and they're going to demand to use, you know, they, them, Zezer, Zezay pronouns and the media is going to comply with them. And I'm kind of like, wait, I'm this person's like, you know, killing chickens, but I'm supposed to like respect their feelings. Like, no. And (laughs) this thing again with, and also it's, I think that this is another thing that's probably going to pass because when you try to read a story now, you can't even follow what they're talking about when they go from singular to plural pronouns. You can't even follow what's happening because they, in a story about two people and they use the word they, they're still talking about a singular person. And for someone who's, again, kind of grammar like that, it makes you want to fucking boil your head. And so I don't think that that's going to last. That's something that it's going to go the way of Latinx, Latinx eventually. Um, so like I said, when someone's like, what's your name? What, what should I call you? And some call me and call me eggplant. Okay, eggplant. Sure, not not the name I would choose, but okay. <laughs> How you doing today, eggplant? And they go, oh, also my my pronouns are egg, are egg and plant. And I'm like, like, what do you mean? Like, that's what I identify as. Oh, well, that's not what you are. Like, calling you by your name is different than you know you demanding I address you a certain way. And that's what this whole like I said, you have an entire progressive movement based on the feelings of twenty year olds. And it's not to me, it's, it's not stable and it's not something that is going to last, but um, I, I just, I get off the bus with that stuff. So I believe in being respectful. If, if, it's, if it's a trans individual who's changed their name, I'm not going to be sitting here typing Ellen Page, Ellen Page, Ellen Page, Ellen Page on my Twitter feed um, yeah. to, to, to go along with that. Um, but also you, what the funniest thing is when Bette Midler talked about, she's, you know, there's female erasure happening. And Beth Miller just went full turf and everyone was like, whoa, the way that Twitter, the way that Twitter as a publisher wrote it in their trending section where they said people are talking about Beth Midler's language uh, about inclusivity of birthing bodies. And it proves their fucking point. Like that was their whole point. And as I've said, you know, it's not going to be the political right. That's going to win that battle. It's going to have to be the feminist left. That finally, and I think you're seeing it, you're starting to see it, where they're perking up and going like, you're literally erasing female accomplishments here in the name of what you call inclusivity, inclusive, and being respectful of everyone, except it's not being respectful of everyone because now you can't appropriate. So it's it's technically all, and it's like I said, it's the Be Like the Boy episode of The Simpsons. We're just supposed to respect how every individual feels. And eventually you're going to get people who are offended by even that notion and you're going to get a circular firing squad with a lot of these people. And so again, it's, it's how the media treats it. Uh, Biden CDC comes out and starts calling them birthing people. And within an instant, our media picks up that language and they just, they start running with the language of democratic politicians. We saw that with don't say gay. And those of you saw that I had a very memorable exchange a few days ago over that very thing. Um, and so eventually I think the whole birthing person shit is going to go away. It's again, it's in a phase. It's one of yeah. these things. Uh, I might be wrong and I might just be one of those, you know, cynical Gen Xers where I just look at it. And I'm just like an old fuddy duddy 
where I see people with pronouns and it's like, you're, it's not about inclusivity. You're demanding how I address you despite the fact that you are not this thing. And it's different than addressing you by a name that you want to be called. And so the pronoun thing, it's like I said, I, I would encourage you to go read Jim, Tree, uh, Jim Treacher's post on this JT, uh, at JTOLL because yeah. it is funny. They're, they're like, you must, you must address sociopaths uh, by their preferred pronouns. And it's just like, no, well, I'm not doing that. Um, as far as Twitter banning those two, I mean, of course it's performative. And the thing that I, I just, I, I find it so cringe is when people start tagging Elon Musk, like, are you okay with what's going on? Like what, what yeah. do you, he doesn't own Twitter yet. And do you think, I mean, he might be reading the tweets and he might've called Twitter and been like, what's going on here. But I guess Dave Rubin deleted his tweet um, whatever, but it's like, I, I look at this and I just say, again, usually if you're not an asshole about it, and I can be an asshole about a lot, um, you can, you can get around these rules. You can skirt these rules. One of them is when a Buzzfeed news reporter yesterday said Twitter allowed Elliot Page's dead name to trend. And I just put up the tweet from the Buzzfeed and I went, you were calling her Ellen Page a year ago. And she's defending Juicy Smollett, which is even perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I, I so see this, the same thing. This I, thing of uh, and he and he wrote another post about it today, where they say dead naming harms us. It it will cost lives. They said that about Dave Chappelle, and the only instance of trans violence of the whole Dave Chappelle saga was against Dave Chappelle when when a guy stormed the stage with a gun knife or something. Yeah, I'm and gonna, uh, and so I look at this and I'm like, who who is harmed by this? Your feelings, your, 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 you get hurt feelings. Is that what you mean by harm? Is that what makes you feel unsafe? Um, I don't, I don't understand it. It's all performative. Um, I, I find it ironic that Elliot Page is now taking uh, roles away from you know other cis white males in, in Hollywood because that's all we need. We need more. We need more cis white men in Hollywood. So thank you, Elliot. Yeah, and I also saw some Twitter user say that she spent like thousands of dollars to like look like an incel male and i just lost it laughing yeah i mean i don't i don't and this is a whole discussion that more people who who follow gender theory as as a hobby and as, as a thing which i don't know why they're crazy <laughs> like people like jesse singal katie herzog um this this is a whole thing and i would re i would recommend people go listen to them because this really is their their hobby horse this is their area um, but I'm not one of these people where I dive and say full in it's mental illness or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, they're playing, they're playing with language. And as I've said in the past, this is how they always start a movement. They change the language of, of things. Um, and once you change the language and you change the terminology that could have been global warming to climate change, it could have been, you know, uh, gay union to gay marriage. Once you change the definition of words, which is what they're doing, um, that's usually when they start to get a stranglehold in their claws into the culture war. And so, again, I I'm kind of just like, uh, okay, I guess, I guess, Elliot Page is now taking roles uh, for for cis white men because that's what we need. Um, so, it, to me, I, I look at it and I poke fun at this culture. Um, but it's, it's deeply offensive again, that they can go in and just change the different meanings of words and, and just blatantly do it. And again, 
to me, it's going to be the feminist left that really says we've had enough of this because you, you can call us turfs. You can do any of this that you want, but it is a simple fact. You are, you are engaged in the erasure of women and, and female accomplishments. And it's sort of like the South Park episode where the tolerant lady is just like, you know, oh, we got to be tolerant. We got to be accepting. Yeah, and then, no, no, you know, no, no. in the race, it's it's macho man. Randy Savage just comes in and beats the shit out of her. And so that's kind of where it's going. South Park probably has their has kind of their finger on the dial with that. Yeah. And I've seen uh, Macy Gray also kind of like say something similar to like Ben Miller. And she got a ton of shit for that, too, unfortunately, even though Macy Gray is kind of been like, you know, super progressive in herself. Yeah, I think it's, but to me, it's going to have to be younger people because a lot of, a lot of this culture is young. Like you see the TikTok culture uh, where, you know, people are demanding you address them as a bird, you know, (laughs) or something. And so when Bette Midler does it, Bette Midler is a boomer. She's like 70. Macy Gray's probably in her 40s or 50s. Um, It's similar to, you know, the political right where, um, you know, you have people like Glenn Greenwald standing up against her or Dave Rubin, but these are all, you know, older people. You need younger generation people standing up and going, this isn't, this isn't cool. Like what's happening here. We're clearly seeing this and younger people are generally more frightened, more impressionable. They're not apt to alienate a social group. Um, they don't handle Twitter dogpiles. They can get canceled. They're scared of that. They can lose a yeah. job. Um, and so you don't find a lot of brave younger people and it sucks because that's kind of what we need right now. Yeah. Well, anyway, thank you for, thank yep. you for allowing me to again. Can't wait to do this again. Yeah. Well, probably, I don't know, maybe end of the week next week. We'll see if, if I'm feeling in the mood. Um, I'm going to take, well, I'm going to bump, uh, so we'll, we'll go Jason Dan, but I'm going to bump Julia up. I just saw her join. Um, we've just had nothing but a sausage fest. Um, so Julie, if you, if you want to speak, I just bumped you up, go ahead and hit the mute on the microphone. Um, should I, should I, should I ask Julia what her opinion is of Nancy Pelosi's rack as a woman? I'd like to get a female perspective on that. I do oppose being given special treatment as a birthing person. Uh, so I would expect you to ask me the same question. We're equal here. (laughs) Yeah, I I would say above average, although I don't have enough of a sample size of, you know, women of a certain ages, uh, racks, but they do look natural to me, I do have to say. Uh, but, you know, not bad for 80. And I've always said that I hope that when I'm Nancy Pelosi's age, I have half of her stamina. You know, I think a yeah. couple of years ago, she stood yeah. for like eight hours on the house of you know, on the floor of the house. Yeah. But, well, um, you have, you have like 127 years to go. So <laughs> yeah. anyway, I did. Okay. This is just totally random, but I found out a couple of days ago, I think it was on Ann Coulter's uh, sub new sub stack. Uh, she was talking to some guy and I guess Nancy Pelosi's brother was charged with rape with like a long time ago and uh, went to trial and all that. But uh, I guess she doesn't believe all women when it comes to her own family. And I also didn't know that her husband uh, was drunk driving back in the 50s and killed his brother in a car accident as well. It's funny this isn't uh, better known. But. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the whole, the whole, I saw the outrage over her husband 
drunk driving. And I'm like, can you fucking blame the guy? Um, <laughs> with what he has to put up I mean, with. I'm, although, I'm although now that you, now that you realize how well endowed she is, you're kind of like, I don't know, man, you know, like, you know, you could be doing worse. But, <laughs> but then again, I guess when you live with, and you have lived with, with like the queen of the lizard people for the past, however many years, um, probably even, even, you know, at the loss of your own brother is not enough to get you to just, you know, be able to handle her sober. Go ahead. You're still there. Do we do we lose you, Julia? Oh no, you're you're still no, there. No, I thought. Sorry, I thought you cut out. For no, a I, I like I to I like to, I like to mute yourself. and put people on the spot. So I do cut out, but I'm oh, muting my okay. mic. And then just um, another uh, little pop culture topic. I just wanted to know if you've uh, watched any of that Apple TV show Severance. No, no, it's it's on my list. I know about it. Um, I've watched a couple of reviews of it, so I know like what it's all about. And I just I haven't gotten around to it. But everything that I've heard about it is good. Um, yeah, I was um, pleasantly surprised. Um, I didn't know much about it, but I everything every you know review I see and hear are, are good so i would recommend it i think you'd really like it yeah so for those of you who don't know it's an apple tv series called severance it's directed i think written and directed by ben stiller it stars adam scott and it's the basic premise that i at least know of and you can correct me is when you go to a job you're able to forget your home life to where you just focus on the job and then when you leave the job you forget about you you it's either a procedure or it's something that happens to where you don't know anything about your job so it's when you leave to go home it's like living two completely separate different lives except one of them is a company and so that i that i know that much about but like i said i've heard really really good things about it and it's just it's one of those that's on the pile so i'm i'm trying to get through the boys right now and I'm surprisingly struggling with it. Um, and so that one's kind of, you know, I have just kind of a, a, a list of things. So I just got done with Barry trying to get through the boys. And then severance is one of those that I do have back there. So, but I, 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 I do appreciate the recommendation because I haven't heard from anyone who I've, I've heard or seen it. Um, they've, they've all liked it. Yeah. It's uh they call it the severance procedure. It's sort of an implant in your brain and it's activated when you're in the elevator like you basically have your whole brain bifurcated so you have no idea what's going on with your so-called Audi like um, you know off work uh, life and then you know when you're off the clock you have no idea what you do at work so it's one of those thought-provoking shows but it's also easy to watch and stylistically it has a bit of like a mid-century aesthetic which I know is sort of your style. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was really well done. So, but that's all I wanted to say. Um, thanks for taking my call and, uh, I hope you have a great rest of your week. Great. Thanks, Julia. Uh, I like hearing from new people and especially thank you for breaking up the sausage fest here. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so I did put Jason and Dan off, but they're going to get the same awkward questions. So now they got more time to sit on. So Jason, you're up. I mean, your, uh, your open topic, post-4th of July fun explosion, and I'm going to give you the question, where would you rate Nancy Pelosi's beautiful, gorgeous, voluptuous rack? We've been talking about the rack in her fridge with all the ice cream. That's what we're talking about? 
<laughs> no, do you, did, did you see the photo of Nancy Pelosi online? Very online. Unfortunately, unfortunately I follow you on Twitter, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So give, give me your give me your honest uh, breakdown, your honest guy physical breakdown of Nancy Pelosi's voluptuous vavooms. Uh, my wife is in the room. I'm going to pass on that. Okay, ask her her opinion. <laughs> Megan, what's your opinion? She has a rack. <laughs> she hasn't heard about the controversy. Okay, so, no. so she doesn't follow me on Twitter, apparently. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> show her the photo, and then uh, next call in if you decide to come up here. Then I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask Megan's opinion. Hi, Megan. Hi. Did you hear that? <laughs> You're on a you're on a you're on a podcast right now, Megan. Uh, Jason, Jason, go ahead. See, he just muted. He's warning her about who I am. Jason, go ahead with your fun explosion topic. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just gonna point out. I am, I am someone who makes uh, a living at making people uncomfortable, so I'm very good at this. By the way, <laughs> um, I was just gonna point out. You know, Democrats keep bringing up the popular vote argument, but. You know, besides the fact that that doesn't matter at all, the other thing is it assumes that Republicans would play the game the same way if the popular vote actually mattered, and they wouldn't. I mean, we try to get more people out in California, this, that, and the other. Um, I've always had the impression that Democrats are really good at boosting turnout even when it doesn't matter, you know, like burning money and um manpower trying to beat Mitch McConnell or Lindsey Graham or anything. So they get all these irrelevant votes into their their total, and Republicans just don't bother with that as much. Um, we don't get the Twitter candidates, and all of our meme candidates end up winning. But um, So, yeah, I mean, it would change the game. They don't know. We don't know how it would turn out. They don't know how it would turn out if the popular vote actually uh, well, and also the goal with the popular vote is their their goal is to eventually get four more senators in Washington D.C. and Puerto Rico, and so you don't hear that argument where, again, in states like South Dakota, uh, let's let's break up South Dakota and into four states, and let's let's add, uh, you know, six more senators for South Dakota. They don't think these things through, and as I've said, the popular the popular vote is is an argument of denying election results and the political right should start treating it that way uh, because that's what it is. They, this is their excuse for losing an election. And even Hillary Clinton uh, thought that she had the electoral college sealed, which is why she was in uh, Louisiana two days before the election, but never went to Wisconsin. It's because she even said, I think in her book that her goal was to seal the popular vote. And it was kind of like, well, what? Like, that's like, it's like the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl who had more passing yards than the Patriots who won. And so, again, they, they come up with unrealistic solutions for why they keep losing elections. And one of those is abolish the Electoral College. Well, you're going to have to amend the Constitution to do that. And you're going to need all of those states that you don't think that you, you know, participate in the electoral process. And so it's, it's one of those things I shrug at. It's not going to happen. It's not realistic. You can kick and scream and cry all you want about it. Uh, you're hearing phrases now, the tyranny of the minority, especially as it comes to kind of like MSNBC and uh, New York Times, people like Ezra Klein. 
Um, and it's just, it's simply not. The Constitution is not based, again, as I said, on majority polling. And if you don't like it, then you have to change it. And again, this is the problem with Roe v. Wade. If you want to amend it, or if you want to codify it into the Constitution, you're going to need all of those states where it's not popular. And that's essentially the freak out. And this is the problem, again, going back to what I said about, you know, what Obama did to the party, about turning the Democratic Party into a coastal elite, uh, elite, elite party. And we just had a quote from some Democrat operative last week who said, I think he was anonymous. He might have been somebody. He basically told, I think it was Politico, where if we become the party of the elite elite, if we become the party of, you know, coastal rich people in Park Slope in San Francisco, then we're dead. And you're seeing that happen right now in border towns in Texas, um, where they're losing districts that they haven't lost in 100 years. And so um, you may start to see this with mayorships in some of these cities that are just out of fucking control. I don't think it's entirely out of the realm of possibility that you could see a Republican mayor in Chicago in the next 15 years or places like that where people just said, we're fucking fed up. We're done. You know, we gave you a hundred years and it's just not working. So, you know, I, I, you, you, you could end up seeing like in Philadelphia or Baltimore or St. Louis or Minneapolis. I don't know what the odds are, but it wouldn't shock me um, that you would see, you know, a, a Republican mayor of Chicago before you ever see a governor of Texas ever again. So this, this whole idea behind the popular vote, um, they never talk about Texas. They never talk about Florida. Um, or some of these other states. So it's great that when they bring it up, because they actually think it's going to happen, but it is their way of invalidating election results. Um, You're probably going to see in the next two election cycles, Democrats challenge to certify electoral votes uh, because they've been doing this long before Trump and the Republicans have uh, based solely on that saying, you know what, Uh, our population, there should be a popular vote. And therefore I'm going to protest the certification of, you know, uh, off the top of my head, I don't know, North Dakota's nine electoral votes. They shouldn't have those. They should only have four. And that, and when that happens, you're going to then say, well, are we participating in the big lie? How are we doing this? We all know that corporate media and mainstream media will simply just go along with it. Yeah, they'll pretty much do whatever. Um, I, it's, that's another talking point that's really annoying, the whole tyranny. They've redefined government in action as tyranny. They've like the fact that we can't regulate gun, you won't let us regulate guns is tyranny. Like, no, the whole point of the Constitution was that nothing happens, at least at the federal level, without broad consensus. And it's not tyranny to have the government not do something. Right, and this is this is one of these things where I I sit here and I see them doing this, and I don't actually believe they believe this. I think that this is them searching for the talking point because yes, constitutionally, that's all the Supreme Court did. It just kicked decisions right back to legislatures and states, except when it violated um, the actual amendments in the Constitution, which is what New York's uh, gun, you know, Second Amendment gun control law did. Um, so we saw, of course, Kathy Alcol. Now they're just going to go try and pass different laws. Okay, go do that. But we're also going to sue to stop those if we find them unconstitutional. And so you have a Democrat party who's coming to the realization that their their 25, 30, 40 year strategy 
of judicial fiat and, and ruling through judicial rulings is coming to a sudden screeching, crashing halt. And again, this is what our media was distracted with when they were talking nothing about Russia for three and a half years and Donald Trump. And the entire time, Mitch McConnell is just passing judges, just passing judges, just passing judges. And this is another lesson that they're slowly going to learn. It's slowly going to sink in where they go, how did this happen? Well, this is how it happened. Go to Wisconsin next time. I don't know what to tell you. Um, and so I, I look at it and I just, a lot of this stuff, I shrug. It doesn't anger me. I look at it and I say, we have the Constitution on our side and you have Twitter. So I, I'm pretty much okay with this. So again, th these things don't really annoy me. They're pretty easy to push back on. And like I said, they just, they don't, they, they, I think they think they were winning for so long and they were sold, they were sold a false bag of goods by people like Obama and people over the last 20 years. And, you know, they're, they're a party that's largely ruled by, you know, an attorney class also. And they thought that this was just going to be final. And people like us have been saying for years, no, it's not, fi nothing is final. That if it goes to the court, it can be overturned. This, this can happen. Um, so when I say, you know, when they're, when they're sitting here freaking out at Clarence Thomas over the Ogrefell ruling, the, the gay marriage ruling, I look at it and say, I don't see an appetite for that, but maybe, <laughs> I mean, yeah, may, maybe they will overturn it. And so maybe you guys should get cracking and start passing legislation. And that's the bottom priority for them. Their priority is to, again, open abortion teepees and uh, uh, impeach SCOTUS justices or prosecute Donald Trump or do whatever. And I just look and I say, the country has no appetite for what you're selling. And I think they kind of know that. They, they know they can't really go out and sell unlimited abortion. They just know they can't do it. So they have two choices. They can moderate their position to 15 weeks, which is generally where like 70% of the country is. Um, and the political right just accepts it. Like, no, we wish it was 100%, but 15 weeks before there's a heartbeat, we, we can live with that for now. Um, and so they're either going to have to moderate to that or, or I'm sorry, they're going to have to go out and sell unlimited abortion, which isn't popular, or they're going to have to moderate their position uh, to something like 15 weeks and piss off their base even more. And so that to me is, is really where they find themselves at. I've never seen in my lifetime the Democratic Party where it's at. It is at such a point of weakness that it's, it's shocking to even someone like me to where even I was shocked at Biden's non-response to Roe v. Wade. They just, it was so tepid. There was just nothing there. You, you had, you know, like I said, Ocasio-Cortez and Warren out here, you know, throwing out the kookiest, craziest ideas. But um, even I was shocked that Biden like just came out, gave a 10-minute statement and then flew away. And then when we saw like a week and a half after, and if you follow the right libs on Twitter, you can see how pissed they are. And now you have like Nancy Pelosi parading her voluptuous melons around the south of France or wherever she is. And who's leading at home here? Like who's leading the argument? Where is it? R remember the night of rage, you know, when Roe got overturned, there wasn't much rage. I think they were just so struck at that this happened. Well, the Supreme Court did this because they won elections. People, the country decided at this time, uh, we don't want Hillary Clinton. I'm sorry. So that's how they try to say the court is illegitimate because it was five, five justices were appointed by presidents who lost a popular vote in Bush and Gore. And you just shrug and you go, there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. So um, that, that's kind of where I am. It's not something that's annoyed, annoying to me or, or anything like that. It's just we have the Constitution, and I guess you have Stephen Colbert. Good luck.
lost what you said last. No, uh, I just, I just said, that, you know, I said my position on it just sums up that, you know, we have the Constitution and you have Stephen Colbert. So enjoy the fight, guys. Uh, you know what? I, I shrug at it. So uh, stopping short of civil no. war or, like I said, them assassinating a Supreme Court justice or two, um, there's not much they can do. And I think that they know that. Yeah, that's about that. And I will get my wife's opinion and be back. Thank next you. Episode. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. Uh, let's wrap up things here with Dan, who I think is a, is a newbie. So this is always fun. Dan, I don't need to inform you on anything. Um, I, I would appreciate your honest guy rating on Nancy Pelosi's uh, voluptuous rack. Tell me what you think about it. And then anything else that's on your mind. Uh, you're really, you're really super muted. Are you on headphones or can you go on the speakerphone or sure try that. That's something I'll, I'll talk to Colin about and say, it doesn't sound like earbuds work. Yeah. You're still really super muted. Can you try going on the speakerphone or, okay, well I can hear, I, I can hear you if I put my phone up to my ear. So I'll kind of just tell me, tell me what's going on and I will then translate for the room. How's that? Okay. So for those who can't hear, his his rating on Nancy Pelosi is a four because he says there's a difference between size and quality. <laughs> so size and quality. Okay, what else, Dan? I did I did see Nina Jankowicz's uh, her her glamour shot in the New York Times, which she is now saying is not actually about her. <laughs> yes, rampant transphobia. Um, so what Dan, what Dan said is uh, Nina Jankowicz blocked him because she she just gave birth, which congratulations to her. Um, she's earned the break. Um, and he and Dan replied with, you should say chest feeding because it's transphobic. And she blocked him, which is what she does now. Yes. Yeah, so what Dan's pointing out is Shapiro, I guess, on his podcast has now opted opted the term late night group therapy for libs when it comes to late night shows like Colbert and Jimmy Fallon, which is basically now bring out politicians and they all have a good cry together. Um, And being polite, what I'll say is I've provided free content to a lot of these people for years um so when they when they co-opt it or they coin or whatever they take it i I kind of just shrug and i'm like all right guys uh there's times when it's super obvious that it happens um like i think i've probably single-handedly paid twitchy's bills for the last five years um so i also know i mean it's not the first time shapiro's done that i think somebody somebody pointed out that he he also took swedish you know, scoldy Swedish teen when it comes to Greta Thunberg. How dare you? Um, but I guess I, I look at that and I, I shrug and I just kind of go, eh, okay. I mean, that's that's what some people do. Some guys do it. And like I said, I've, I've been providing free content for them for a while now. So it's not something that really gets under my skin that much. And I use it on Twitter, and, and Shapiro follows me on Twitter, and he retweets me a lot. So they probably get it off my Twitter feed or um, whatever. But I, I hope they subscribe. They should. It's a good podcast. Cool. Thanks, Dan. Sorry if you guys couldn't hear uh, Dan there. It's just it's a phone glitch. i got to talk to uh, 
uh, calling about um, just kind of why, because I know we get that problem a lot. So I'll talk. So, well, we went two hours. I said I'd only go an hour, but we were having fun. This turned into the Nancy Pelosi anatomy hour. Um, so that, that's good. We're, we're probably all canceled. So thanks for, for those of you who decided to, to uh, join in. <laughs> uh, I may fit one of these in at the end of the week. We might do another happy hour uh, where we can get, you know, a little bit looser. But again, I just wanted to get one of these. Uh, I was kind of in just like a loose, fun mood and it's post holiday. I'm still kind of on my own vacation, but I will uh, be back at versus media on Patreon tomorrow. I will have a podcast tomorrow and then Friday for the shortened week. So again, thanks everyone for joining. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, and again, you can get me at Red Steez on Twitter. And if you want to pass this on to your friends and family, this will be a published podcast. So just look up episode 24 if you want to listen to yourself uh, play back um, or, or anything. Or if you were wise like Samuel and you, and you chose not to go on the record about uh, Nancy Pelosi's just incredible size knockers. So anyway... Uh, I'm Stephen O'Milly. You should know that because you're in my you're in my recorded live podcast room. And like I said, I may do another one of these Friday, if not probably Monday. And so keep an eye out for that alert there. So once again, thanks everyone. Go have fun. Go enjoy your night. Enjoy the rest of your week. Cheers. <laughs>